1: to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high-performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're gonna wanna take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the Coachable Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here for another week because I am joined by none other than Alexandra Solomon. She is a creator and host of the Reimagining Less, Taking Sexy Back, How to Own Your Sexuality and Create the Relationships You Want, and Loving Bravely, Um, 20 Lessons of Self-Discovery to Help You Get What you want when it comes to love. She's also been featured on the Today Show, NPR, and so many other news outlets, and she's a licensed clinical psychologist at the Family Institute at Northwestern University. She's taught a uh, course there called Marriage 101 for the last 20 years, and a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Northwestern University. You can find out all about her on social media, Dr. Alexander Solomon, or at her website, dralexandra.com. Uh, solomon.com all of this will be linked in the show notes and you're in for a treat because in today's episode we talk all about relational self-awareness and how you can begin to develop it so that you can understand yourself your partner uh, better and you can create the love and intimate uh, relationships that you desire because you guys know that this can be a challenging space to navigate whether you're in partnership whether you're dating single um going through separation this is going to be a uh episode that i know is going to serve you and give you some aha moments um that you can take away and you can dive deeper into your self-healing journey and developing developing the intimacy that you crave we want to be known we want to be seen we want to be loved deeply all of us want these things but it can feel so elusive and and hard to come by but dr alexandra solomon really breaks it down for us in this episode so i know you are going to love it before we jump into this week's episode i do want to say thank you to our sponsor organifi which is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition and high quality ingredients with less than three grams of sugar i absolutely love organifi because as you guys know I am traveling these days across the country and I need something that's convenient but works and with their uh, incredible travel size packets, this works really, really well for me being on the go. You can get their Organifi Greens, their Organifi Red or what I love, the Organifi Gold and make sure that not only does it taste good, but you're getting the superfoods that are essential for your diet to reduce stress and reset your morning into your routines. I absolutely love all of their products. So if you go to organify.com slash Tori Gordon and use the code Tori20, you will get 20% off all of your order. Dr. Alexander Solomon, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Super honored to share just a couple, like, couple minutes together because you're somebody who I highly admire and I respect your work deeply. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the the way that you see yourself and therefore how you offer, um, us a a way to see ourselves more deeply and and more clearly through the work that you do. And, um, that's what I'm excited to talk to you about today. So just, first of all, thank you for being here.
2: Thank you, Tori, for having me. That's a sweet introduction. I appreciate it. Mm.
1: Well, I'm fascinated by the work that you do and your, background as a clinical psychologist and also a professor. I grew up um as a child to educators and professors myself <laughs> and so uh I value education and I, I say if I could be a student for life I would be and I, I do think I am to some extent. But you have taught a course um called Marriage 101 at a collegiate level, which is so fascinating that this is something that has even been offered and why we're not all educated in such an important topic. Um, And you teach about obviously marriage, the fundamentals of of what goes into healthy relational dynamics, but also what you call relational self-awareness. And before we get into all of the other things that I just mentioned, I would love for you just to define what relational self-awareness is for those listening and why it's so critical when we desire to have healthy intimate relationships.
2: Great. I think it's, a, I think you're starting us off in, in, a, in just the right place. So you're right, I me. Mean, I, I wear a number of different hats, but what I was beginning to realize within my, well, I wear a number of hats in my professional world, and certainly as a um, wife of 23 something gears and a mama to two teenagers. Um the, the the through line, no matter the context that I'm in, is this idea of relational self awareness. So what I want for my students, my clients, um, as well as for myself, is to again and again come back to relationship with self as the foundation of relationship with everybody else. So relational self-awareness is an ongoing, curious and compassionate relationship that I foster with myself that becomes the foundation for healthy relationships of all kind. I mean, usually I'm talking about in terms of um, intimate partnership. But certainly when I'm, you know, in a conversation with my adolescent daughter, I can come up with all kinds of judgments about her, beliefs about what she should be doing or not doing. And my challenge is to be humble enough and curious enough to understand why am I getting hooked, right? What is what is Why is my opinion getting so strong right now? Why is my reaction getting so large right now? What is going on inside of me that is getting activated? And that that ability to turn attention inward, to hold up that mirror always gently because this is, this is challenging, but that the relationship with self then becomes the foundation for intimacy and for connection.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Victor Frankl who says in between stimulus and response, Mm -hmm. there's a pause. And in that pause, if we're able to notice the story that we're telling ourselves, notice the trigger, notice just the sensation in our body that's happening, whatever is being brought up as a byproduct of this conversation or this thing that just happened with my partner or with a friend or with my daughter, right? That it's, can we increase that pause long enough Mm -hmm. to inquire within ourselves? Because to your point, I think what's most natural and automatic for, for most of us, our default setting is reactivity and (laughs) self-protection, right? (laughs) And how do I protect myself from pain, um, at all costs. And Mm -hmm. that oftentimes prohibits us from being able to connect at the deep level that we really desire to, because Mm -hmm. we're just going around with armor all day long Mm -hmm. and creating stories and judgments about the people in our lives that we really desire to know and to be known Mm -hmm. by and this is something that i know not just myself uh, but all of the listeners including you like we're all trying to figure this thing out when it comes Mm -hmm. to to relationship it's it's one of the things that's primary um in our dna we are wired for connection Mm -hmm. we need it to survive and whether it's from, from childhood and birth to co-regulate, just to mm-hmm. be, just mm-hmm. to get through, you know, when we're young to, to adulthood and we're really yes. craving those intimate partnerships. And it seems to be something that many of us um, feel like we're lacking the right tools in this area. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so I think it's so critical, the work that you do in, in, in equipping people like myself and your clients and those that you work with, to how do we expand that pause and learn how to go within as you said and start to notice mm-hmm. those those dynamic, dynamics within ourselves and also the relationships that we we continue to, to carry in our lives
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep it's you know we're having this conversation at an incredibly exciting time you know it, the the one of the fascinating things about being now two plus decades into this work is that, you know, 20 years ago, so for example, I've, I've been a therapist for more than 20 years and uh, around 20 years ago is when we first launched the Marriage 101 class and we were really pulling together what we knew then from the body of relationship science what we knew from the field of couples therapy and we were really piecing this together and it it was at the very early edge of starting to translate that which lived behind therapist doors and within the ivory tower into the hands of 19 20 21 year olds and so what's happened over these two decades is this like explosion of information and conversation and democratization of wellness and mental health and it's so exciting that my students will come in they can tell me their attachment styles they know their love languages like this is i'm not starting from the square one that i used to start from so the field has expanded our willingness to know that we have to um humble ourselves right and heal and heal in an ongoing way like it's it's quite it's quite exciting and it makes me really hopeful for what's to come even as I feel frightened and concerned about things like the impact of a two plus year long pandemic on our relationships, right? Because we are asking, you know, you're talking about that pause, the Viktor Frankl pause, which I just so cherish. And it's in my slide deck on lecture one of Marriage 101. It's in Loving Bravely, like that quote is just essential. And so we are asking ourselves to inhabit a pause while we are walking around really quite threadbare, right? We are in the midst of a collective grief, you know, all of us, our All of us are more at risk than ever, I think, to be falling back on whatever our self-protective urges are. And for some of us, it is. It's lashing out and getting critical and judgy and finger pointy and blamey. For some of us, it's like hunkering down and like becoming a turtle and going within and shutting down. So we have different places that we go. But you're right. That urge to self-protect is there within all of us and external stressors, whether it's a relational stressor, a work stressor, or this large macro pandemic stressor, puts us all at risk of being much more reactive than responsive. So, the work isn't done. I know for myself... My leading edge is always, uh, I mean, I would love to get to the point where I am just no longer reactive, impossible to trigger. You know, I'm not there yet. I got some more years to go. Maybe I'll get there. But what I'm Mm -hmm. better at is shrinking the time between Mm -hmm. when my self-protective strategy emerges and I Mm -hmm. catch it and I repair, I ask for a do-over, I acknowledge, I start again, right? That's where our growth is, is can we catch it and do it differently? Uh, that's, that's where I hope that we, you know, these tools that you're offering on your show that I love to mm-hmm. offer are helping move us towards.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it is, that's the, that's the process. It's like, how can I sh- shrink that time that I go to those protectors and, uh, allow for and create the space within myself to be with whatever is coming up and reparent that part of me, love on that part of me, have <laughs> compassion for that part of me that feels the need to, to like lash out or act out because something in my environment right now doesn't feel safe. And I think this is really important for those of us, whether we're dating or in relationship anybody that's listening to the show, that's really, if you're listening to the show, it's because you want to develop more relational self-awareness. So mm-hmm. you're on this self-discovery journey and it's like, what is it within me that is being, um, triggered in this scenario? And I always tell people, it's like, my triggers are my, my roadmap to my healing. Cause it shows me where <laughs> my wounds are. I think it's Marianne Williamson says, who's like, the people who are meant to teach us the most in our lives are the ones that show us our capacity, you know, basically mm-hmm. to love and where our wounds, like where our walls are, that's mm-hmm. where our wounds are. Mm-hmm. Like where I, I go to, Hey, this is unforgivable, or this is something I can't, you know, I can't accept. And that doesn't mean we don't have standards or boundaries or anything, but it's mm-hmm. understanding that our relationships are really meant to be a place of healing, right? Mm-hmm. Because our wounds happen in relationship, but Mm -hmm. healing has to happen in relationship too. Mm -hmm. You know, to come that full circle, if we really want to, I mean, we can do the work on our own, but at some point, if we've been abandoned, neglected in relationships, if we have issues of of like, we don't trust someone in order to really bring that full circle, do you think, like, do you see that um, yes, we can work on those stories and repatterning, and and creating new, you know, experiences in the future, but doesn't it come full circle when we actually live that out in partnership with
2: someone else? Absolutely. That's right. That's right. And it's not that we go, you know, we, we don't get to go into relationship and say, okay, so here's my deal. I have an abandonment wound in this wound. And this, so therefore don't touch it. Don't trigger it. Don't activate it. <laughs> you know, it would, it, we don't get to do that. We okay. certainly, um, we certain so it's this blend as you're saying of, Tending to ourselves, providing that self-soothing and reparenting and gentleness, while also asking for measures of accommodation and agreement that minimize the chances that our partner is going to inadvertently, you know, Mm -hmm. stumble onto our wounds. I think it's this blend and it's never... It is. it's we can't make like a flow chart of like if this then this you know so it has to be this willingness like and the more the more that I'm willing to say yes Tori like that conversation last night triggered me because it reminded me of this thing with my mom the more I can do that then the more you'll be able to say well you know what as you say that it's making me realize that part of my reaction to what you're saying is shaped by this old story that I bring in about how You know, I'm not enough or I'm going to be Mm -hmm. misunderstood. So it's it's not that we ever it's not that we ever even have to have this nice, neat diagram of how much it's my ghost, you know, causing the dust up versus your ghost. But just that just that process of being curious about what's going on within and between is intimacy promoting, and given that the research shows, uh, John Gottman's research shows that a full 69% of the shit that couples fight about is unsolvable anyways, Mm. that really is usually where we're going to end up, is just some blend of me taking accountability for my shit, you taking accountability for yours, and we just kind of like shrug our shoulders and say, wow, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it, that we can just end up in these places you know yeah
1: well and that just i think blows up this this fantasy that we're gonna meet somebody and we're not gonna you know have these big disagreements or you know we're always gonna want the same things or we're gonna have the same needs or that we're not gonna have a lot of conflict Mm. it's just to your point regardless of the relationship that you're in there will be those things that you're like we just this. We can't solve this. And do we choose yeah. to to continue to be in this in this dance together, despite the fact that we're not coming to some like there's no right or somebody's not right in this. You know, no one wins. That's right.
0: In mm-hmm.
1: this, this isn't a competition.
2: Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But we sure have been sold a lot of mythology that if we choose right, Mm -hmm. then we won't feel misunderstood, feel confused, feel overwhelmed. And so that is, and I think there are lots of ways that modern dating can reinforce that, right? Because literally we're sitting on a device choosing, 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 right? Like swiping this way or that way. So it really, there's a lot of wind in our face around that, like supporting and reinforcing the idea that if I just choose the right person, it's not going to hurt and it's going to be easy. And And I don't, you know, relationships, at least in the context we're talking about, Mm -hmm. are free will arrangements. And so I never want anyone to stay past the point just because there might be more growth involved. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not here for that. Right. Um, But I am here for grieving and letting go of the myth that um, if you truly You know if you're the right one for me then i won't ever feel misunderstood or confused or doubtful Mm -hmm. um or hesitant right Mm -hmm. yeah
1: uh that is i think really hitting on something i want to dive deeper into which is i hear a lot of primarily women i'm sure there are men that say this too but they'll say i have a bad picker right i have a i just have a bad picker and I, I kind of get where they're coming from in terms of maybe they've, they've kind of, uh, unconsciously chosen similar partners that are bringing up certain wounds for them that they, they get to work on if, if they see that, that pattern, Mm -hmm. but also to your point about this pressure to choose right. And that, that if I choose wrong, choosing wrong equals suffering and choosing right means a life of, of happily ever Mm -hmm. after. Mm -hmm. and there's when we fall into that paradigm we are going to inevitably suffer because one there is no such thing right i guess of Mm -hmm. like there is no perfect person and also we have lost our ability to trust ourselves to Mm -hmm. choose a partner that is aligned for us because at the first sight of of issues or conflict or somebody's shadow it was like oh gosh i gotta leave because this isn't the you know the perfect perfect person for me Mm
2: -hmm. yeah it's an it's really tricky isn't it because that right that whole like i have a bad picker Mm -hmm. there's a part of it that may be a statement someone's making about what you're saying i don't trust my ability to choose and that is what oftentimes early trauma robs us of is, um, an ability to trust ourselves. So what somebody might be saying in that is it's really, really hard for me to trust myself. And so, um, and, and that goes throughout everything in my life. And so in, if that is what that declaration is saying, I'm, I'm wanting them to do some healing around, around, um, devotion to small choices, Mm -hmm. like just, throughout the day, noticing when they actually do choose for themselves, when they choose wisely, when they choose lovingly, Mm -hmm. and like landing that, right? Like noticing that moment of like, ah, I stood there, even something as simple as I stood there in the coffee shop, I looked at that enormous menu of coffee drinks, and I looked And I, and I, and I read and I made a choice and this is a fricking good cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. And just like noting that and like landing it inside, like just whispering to the little girl, little boy, like, look at, look at us. Like we're doing it. We are choosing for ourselves, like devotion to those little small choices that indicate that actually there is a deep well of inner knowing that is trustworthy, that can be relied upon, um. And then expand it, right? Expand it into things that are far more complicated than choosing a coffee drink. Um, But that's, but that is sometimes where the healing has to start is, is in the little spaces.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I want to talk to you about is, is our definitions of love and how those, and just what traditional relationships have looked like for many of us, our parent, what our parents' relationships look like, what their parents' relationships look like, what we learned from our family of origin and about what love is and mm-hmm. what, what relationships should look like and um, how that's evolving in 2022. Uh, how does it look different today than what we were sold from whether it's our parents or on TV or something mm-hmm. uh in the culture because there is a shift that's happening. You know, dating today, relationships today look much different. There's much more space and open conversation around mm-hmm. uh, gender roles, around non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy, around yeah. you know, relationships that have are just expanding what our original Mm -hmm. idea of what that should look like in a monogamous relationship and, um, how that traces back to our family of origin. Can you just speak to that a little bit and how we start our, our idea of love is shaped at a young age.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, Tori, you're so good. (laughs) You've got all, you've got this whole map right down. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that is a really, you know uh, there's ways in which this part of the conversation gets a little bit like kind of heady and sociological and historical, but I think it's so important because it's like telling the goldfish they're in water, right? <laughs> like it just if you know if if what somebody's doing is dating in twenty twenty two they all 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 that you can see is the current zeitgeist, right the current moment, and so it's in being like, let's look at at where you are and how you basically are loving and looking for love in this like freaking brave new world. And you are doing what literally no humans have ever done before. Mm -hmm. And it's in that conversation that it's like, Oh, wait a minute. This is hard because it's hard. Not because I'm broken or wrong or stupid or haven't figured it out. So yes, that is, there's a chapter in, Oh God. I was
1: just going to say, and, and the why it's futile, like it's futile to compare ourselves to (laughs) our parents or relationships that we think it's supposed to look like oh well I I should have a relationship like they did or uh, you know I wish I had a relationship like my grandparents because they were married for 50 years Uh, you know your grandparents aren't aren't dating in 2022 they they just weren't whether they were set up by their you know they could have been set up by family members they could have just she could have been the only girl in the classroom, who knows you know, but it's That's just right. things are different so right. yeah let's let's mm-hmm. shed some light on that because I think it gives people relief when we start to realize Charme. like oh I'm not just I'm not doing it wrong I'm just I don't maybe mm-hmm. have context for for what I want to create because I've never seen it done before, right. and when we're when we're trying to create a new uh reality of love reimagining what love could look like and we've never mm-hmm. seen it before it can feel like you're wandering around in the dark and you're just kind of like mm-hmm. bracing your like trying to feel like what it, what can i hold on to because mm-hmm. you don't have an example to follow
2: right right and it doesn't it does not mean that we have to throw our grandparents love stories under the bus sure. right i think this is the beautiful thing is how do we honor lineage tradition um, you know, the sort of um, inheritance mm-hmm. while also becoming discerning about this is what I love and cherish and am so grateful for, right? This is what my grandparents' love story taught me and embedded in me. And here's how I'm going to transform it or create something that is that is different that has echoes mm-hmm. or resonances. Um, or tributes to while transforming and evolving so that I think is the challenge of of can we sit in that space of continuity and change because if if for no other reason as you're saying we have to right we can't have our grandparents love stories because the context is just different and then there are lots of ways that we don't want to like particularly it changes around gender role expectations like and Even if we would like to grasp, you know, sort of traditional heterosexual gender norms and roles, we literally cannot because the economy has changed Mm -hmm. such that the female breadwinner households are pretty much the norm, like the percentage, I don't have the numbers in front of me, yep. but you know, it was like single digits a generation or two ago where it would be a female breadwinner household or a woman who out earned a man. And now it is nearly 50-50 of which one is going to earn more than the other. What we have not yet done is, is gone nearly far enough to expand our our possibilities around what it means to be a provider, yeah. right? Like, our, we had one notion yeah. that if you are a man and you are a provider, you provide with a paycheck. Well, I spend lots of parts of my week sitting with couples, especially straight couples, where if she out-earns him... Um, we we get to reimagine what providing looks like, right? How what else does he provide? You know what are what are the like the yummy juicy things that he brings to the table while she brings? But this is this is not easy, and oftentimes the three of us, the couple and I, are working against all the people who are whispering in their ears about Can you believe yes. that he didn't? And can you believe that she? And none of that is helpful because it is difficult enough to subvert scripts that are very very old Mm -hmm. without having the added pressure of a bunch of people spouting off and weighing in while we try to do our work
1: (laughs) there is so much what you just said and i want to get to the original question but you were just but you were just saying i mean that is so true in terms of just the data what the data is saying about how how things have changed with ginger rolls and in providing and that is i have personally experienced that myself and i was even i looked at uh, i was on instagram today and saw a um a post someone had written about how you know basically this type of thing is women leading in their masculine like if a woman is making <laughs> is the breadwinner that means she's dominating in her masculine and she's you know um demasculating her man and a man needs mm. you know her like it's, there are so many stories <laughs> there are so many narratives and it's yes it can feel overwhelming to like it's like this braid you know that we're trying to weave and we're like which parts mm. are in this and which do i like are not yeah. don't belong you know and i and yeah. that's why therapy is so so like such a sacred space for so many people because it's like all of this noise is really overwhelming and noisy when I'm out in the world. And then maybe in a really safe dynamic, whether it's with a therapist or a coach or whatever, I can start right. to kind of navigate and see what's mine, what's not mine, what has just been like,
2: That's right.
1: what have I just accepted that someone else said to me, but what do I get to like discard that doesn't serve me anymore?
2: That's right. Oh, I agree with that so much. I agree with that so much because there's such a fear, like in this scenario that we're talking about, right? I think that she would understandably have a fear that if she quote unquote allows it to be this way, that somehow she's a sucker or she's a fool or she's a doormat. And if they have the privilege of somebody who's right up next to them, a therapist or a coach, mm-hmm. that the therapist or coach can say, but how do you mm-hmm. feel? How? What are your truths? What do you know? And she may say something like, What I know is when I'm lying in his arms, I feel safe and held and seen in a way that I haven't before, and I know the goodness of him, and I know what we are about, and I know that we are doing what needs to be done at this time in our relationship, right? There might be things that she trues that she can anchor back in on, but my gosh, there's a lot of of fear of what we're missing, what's being omitted, as you're saying, that braid of like what's in and what's... What do we get to mm-hmm. let go of? Because it doesn't have all we, every you know, a, a couple's love story is there. It just we just they deserve it to belong to them. Yeah. You know, yeah,
1: exactly. So I just want to take it back to that family of origin and how yeah. we, like, our our first inclination and definition and idea of what what relationships look like and what love is, because as you know, mm-hmm. we. What, what we learn as children, then we go out and often <laughs> mimic in adulthood until we realize or reclaim that definition and get to define mm-hmm. marriage or love for ourselves based on what mm-hmm. our values are, not what we've been told it has to, to look like. Or we're unconsciously kind of living out patterns from our lineage that have just been yeah. repeated over and over, you know, and I'll I just, I'll get it started by saying for me, Um, Although my parents parents were married for for over 36 years. My mom passed away in 2018 after um, a battle with ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. My dad was very, very committed to our family and to that partnership. And yet there was so much that I learned about their marriage and what it took to survive and and get through all of those years um that i had no clue about when i was younger right and until my mom Mm -hmm. passed Mm -hmm. where my dad and i really got to bond and i got to understand what was as i was getting older and having my own relationships you know what theirs was really like because as a as a byproduct of really trying to understand myself I wanted to understand mm-hmm. my family of origin. I wanted to understand my mom and her dynamics and what she was like in relationship. I wanted to understand my dad and what he they were like together because I wanted to know, is this me or is this something I'm reenacting that I've seen before, right? And mm-hmm. to that point, I think one of the things I learned um, about love was that love is sacrifice. And mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that in my adult life play out and that's one of the things I have been redefining for myself because it showed up in a lot of self-abandonment and self-neglect of I'll just forego my needs for you and I'll kind of be the martyr in the relationship Mm -hmm. and I'll, you know, because I'm sacrificing myself for the greater good in that sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we all have different definitions of what that looks like. Based on how we grow up, I imagine.
2: Yeah, well, there's there's so much that's really important and really touching in what you're describing that that. Um... You know in in the loss of your mama there's a different kind of conversation opening up between you and your dad um and it's I, I suspect there's a couple of things happening at once like these conversations may have begun to to open or shift anyways just as you step more deeply into your own yeah. intimate partnerships but i but i hear in your story that there was something also about the loss of your mom that really like cracked this open perhaps in a different you know in a different mm-hmm. way and um, and there's something so like beautiful and humble about your dad being willing to like let you look behind some of the curtains and layers. Right. Yeah. There's some that is that is what parent I mean, parents, it's appropriate. Right. We want when family therapists think about a healthy family system, there's a sense that there's a parental subsystem or the parental unit and there's there's a boundary between that Mm -hmm. system and the younger generation and that is a gift and it's a blessing to offer your kids that kind of boundary where you where the kids don't have insight it's it's for those oh my lord right like i you know that's called triangulation right like if mom is going to daughter to talk shit about dad that is a a cross-generational alliance that does nothing but deteriorate the marriage and and really really hurt Mm -hmm. the kid who now has to figure out how to carry deep love and loyalty to dad while you know supporting mom Mm -hmm. so i love that there was a sense that you didn't fully you didn't didn't know know. this full story you Mm -hmm. know there was a lot that was going on that had to do with sacrifice and um the greater good and the stability of the unit that that you didn't know about you didn't hear about but you likely felt the security did. of, you know, like you got to be the beneficiary yes. of that. People were sacrificing and you got to just perhaps be a little bit uh a little blind to all yeah. of that. You know, which
1: presented its own challenges when I did come sure. into it. it was like crumb everything I thought <laughs> sort of crumbled and I got to rebuild it in a more beautiful way in my own mind about the yeah. stories I told. Yeah. But yeah, I think um I totally understand that there that that need for separation there um, for protection of of myself Mm -hmm. and anybody else that's going through that. But, um, yeah, that's just an example, I think of one, um, kind of story that some of us have, I know my clients have, um, found themselves kind of replaying over and over, um, in their adult relationships. It's like Mm -hmm. that love equals, even in our, in growing up where I grew up, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in the Bible Belt, I mean, you're told that every day when you go to church, you know, if you want to be loving, sacrifice, you know, sacrifice yourself. And that's the, that's Mm. the way to, um, be good.
2: (sighs) Yep. Yep. Right. So you had right. You had a couple of forces converging mm-hmm. your gender because certainly we give that message a lot more loudly to our girls and our women. And you had right the religious context. There were a lot, and then your family, your family context. So for sure, yeah. yeah. But that's you know what you what you're doing. Like you are using yourself as an example right now of something that I want each and every one of us to do, which is to study what I call our original love classroom. Okay. Right. So when so when all of us are little. We are absorbing messages, you know, implicitly and explicitly, consciously and unconsciously. And the messages are of two types. Type one is we're watching how the big people talk to each other, behave with each other, how they handle emotions, the roles, um, tension. So we're, we're observing those dynamics. And then we're also relating to. So we are becoming who the big people in the house need us to be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And depending on how stressed out or dysfunctional our family is, we may have gotten locked into a particular role, right? One of the signs of a healthy family system is the little people don't have to have a role. You can be the goofy one one day and the smart one the next day and the silly one the next day and the serious one the next. Like you can just be the full... 360 version of yourself. In families that are stressed or dysfunctional, people get cast into roles. There's the golden child, there's the scapegoat, there's the invisible one, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the other way that we absorb those messages is like, okay, who do y'all need me to be so that there can be stability and predictability in this system? And both of those things, both those sets of messages, the observational ones and the ones that have to do with who we think we need to Mm -hmm. be for other people's benefit, those all need to get unpacked because, as you're saying, they all come with us as our baggage in our intimate relationships, which is not a bad thing. It's just – we all have it. It's just the question is, are we going to look at it and kind of tease apart how it gets in the way, how it creates blind Mm -hmm. spots, how it creates expectations?
1: Because I think in our culture – we're in love with falling in love, you know, and then mm-hmm. you get through that six, 12 month period where everybody's on their best behavior and everybody's being playing the role of who you, I think you want me to be so that you'll love me and that you'll stick around a lot of times, not mm-hmm. always, depending on yeah. where yeah. you are in your relational awareness mm-hmm. and your journey with that. But, um, mm-hmm. But there is a, I was actually talking to a friend last night um who he's actually i think you've been on his show nico about this and he, we were talking about mm-hmm. um just this illusion that we kind of this perception that we have of people and then you get to know them and you start to get to know their baggage and you get to know their shadows and and this perception mm-hmm. changes and then uh, for a lot of people that's when dating is no longer fun the relational like. Mm-hmm. Uh, relationships no longer interesting to me now I'll go on and I'll stay in that that period I like a lot of people want to stay in that fun Mm -hmm. season until the baggage kind of gets opened up and then no longer people don't want to stick around for sifting through that uh, oftentimes in in the dating culture
2: yeah
1: okay well what'd you guys figure out (laughs) <laughs> well, th- that's all, what was your conclusion that yeah, that's, it's all an illusion that anybody is, you know, it, it's silly to think that there won't be a time, um, where you start to see the things that, that the insecurities, the things that people struggle with, the, whatever mm-hmm. that is, and can, t- based on where you are in your own relationship to self, the more compassionate I am and with myself, the more I know my own uh, internal baggage or or, or challenges, yep. the more compassion I can have for somebody else and what, yeah. what they've gone through. And so I have a greater capacity mm-hmm. to sit with and hold space for somebody else's stuff. Um, that doesn't mean I take mm-hmm. it on as my own, but I think it's directly proportionate to the work that you've done personally on yourself.
2: Beautiful, yeah. Yep. I love that. I love that. And it means, you know, we're, I think, around everything, we're at risk of getting really binary. Like, either this is the greatest love story or this is a terrible love story. And what and when that shift happens, like what I call the fall from grace, like that sort of shift from I'm more complicated than perhaps you've seen thus far yeah. and you're more complicated than perhaps I've seen thus far, That that even though we're shifting away from that and there's some grief in it, what we we get to still have admiration right like admiration respect we maybe even get to either within our own minds or together, like reminisce about, oh my God, remember in the beginning when it was just like so hot or so seductive or so like mysterious so we can maybe talk together about those earlier times when we hadn't added all these layers and you hadn't held me while I weep and I hadn't, you know, watched how much your mom demeans you sometimes, you know, whatever it is. Can we at least, can we talk together about those memories of the early days without idealizing the early days but just sort of saying like isn't that so wild like where we started and how we've come and that in the more nuanced experience of self and other there still gets to be admiration and there gets to be um we get to be a bit more real that we hopefully um as we're being challenged to hold on to our partners nuances and complexities there also gets to be a relief that we get to be held with more nuance and complexity that we don't have to yes. be you know some sort of role or mm-hmm. or a fantasy of what the perfect partner is so there gets to hopefully be some mm-hmm. relief along with that grief
1: yeah i love that because there i think there can be this unconscious pressure that a lot of us feel this like need to impress people and i've worked a lot on this personally where i'm like this is who i am Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i as i've gotten to know myself more i'm very open about my past my struggles the things i work through and i i'm pretty transparent about that however there can be this fear this like fall from grace of if what if i'm not who they think i am or what if they see me they what if they see me differently if they know X, Y, and Z about me. And so we guard those parts of us in fear of judgment and fear of being rejected and fear of Mm. being left ultimately. And I think there is a season for people to go through of recognizing that that fear that keeps us and shame that keeps us hiding is also the thing that keeps us from deep intimacy
2: too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I my gosh, I mean I'm flashing on all these moments in my marriage with Todd. Like we're you know, we're decades into this thing and I still will I still will feel myself tightening up around like, you know, how is he perceiving me and does he still look at me the way that he right. used to or does he hold me in high esteem or have I disappointed him so deeply, right? And, and likewise with me with him, like, you know, how, like, can I have a fresh experience of this man that I have seen yeah. again? So that's, it doesn't go away. I, you know, it doesn't go away. It is, fear of loss is woven into mm. love. So that's, but what you're saying is so spot on that, like, the more gently we can sit with ourselves, the more we can, we can trust all of it. Um, but it's not, it really, I don't know. I mean, I've yet to solve it. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not solvable, right? It's not to be solved. It's just to be held with, with that's tenderness. The, that was the word. Really. It's
1: Yeah, it's tender. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. feels, mm-hmm. yeah. So those are the spots that just feel so vulnerable and, and tender and, Um, and it's such a gift when we are in partnership with somebody who can meet us in those places and still hold us with that, that respect and admiration. And I, I imagine that's a lifelong Mm -hmm. process of of moving through those seasons Mm -hmm. together. Um, and so I appreciate what you just shared about that. I want to ask you one other question because, um, this is around, um, just really being honest with ourselves and with our partners in relationship. I think a lot of times I see a lot of stuff on social media about, you know, we want to be chosen, right? We want to be chosen by, you know, the person that chooses you. Like if the one who's for you, you won't be confused. They you're going to know they're going to choose you. And um I had this thought the other day um that as I have worked on my own racial awareness, I have recognized that sometimes not choosing someone doesn't make them necessarily a bad person. It might just make them an honest one. And I think sitting and wrestling with that for some of us who have felt like we weren't chosen is um, I'm curious just to get your thoughts on that. because. A lot of times we want to demonize people who don't maybe reciprocate oh. what we feel, or they don't yeah. want to be with us the way we want to be with them, and so we kind of, you know, we, we like demonize them. Like they're they're such bad guys, or she 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 hurt me because right. of this. But what if we could just hold space for? What if they were just being honest? What if they were just saying this is my capacity and this is this isn't for me or this isn't aligned for me Mm -hmm. instead of creating this whole judgment which i think a lot of us jump to or story about
2: yeah
1: if it's you don't choose me that means something about you as a byproduct you know
2: right right It's like, it just, it feels like a massive game of hot potato, right? Like, if you don't choose me, one of us has to, one of us has to be Mm -hmm. bad or wrong. And so it's so, the idea that you, right, to not be, like, that's really painful. If I have declared, I really want this, I'm here, I like you, let's build something, and you take a pass, Mm -hmm. that hurts like hell. That's really painful. And so, can I... Right. It's really hard to hold that pain and it's really tempting to like just flip back on you that you were wrong, limited um, because it's because it's hard to hold pain. Right. And depending on what else is going on in my it's a coping strategy. Right. So if I depending on um, my capacity, like there's a it's a it's a subtle difference between holding the pain of not being chosen and turning it against myself, right? That's a subtle difference that sometimes we slip right over. We don't even notice. Like, I'm so sad you didn't choose me. Quick as quickly and sneakily becomes you didn't choose me because I'm not whatever. Thin enough, beautiful enough, rich enough, funny enough, da-da-da enough. And so can we just notice when it starts to, when the pain starts to veer into Mm -hmm. shame because the more it does that now I'm at risk of like putting it back on you because it's got to be right it's either I turn against myself or I turn against you so it's that again like can I just have the capacity to just hold Mm -hmm. the pain and just hold the disappointment and the sadness of what is not going to be without having to make it one of our faults and that's hard it's hard but it's very different I think it's different to dive all the way into "you're terrible" or "I'm terrible" versus noticing, like, "Ah, look at that! It's so tempting. I want to make you wrong, or I want to beat myself up and figure out how I'm going to lose five pounds so that I can da da da." Noticing that and and being fully immersed in that are radically different things, and I think it's the noticing. Damn, I'm watching myself be so tempted to take this out on me and I notice it, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna do it. I used to do it, and I'm not gonna do it anymore. So that's I think where the where the work mm-hmm. and the healing yeah, I mean, are right. Much, the most
1: courageous thing we can do is nothing. you know not is is like not mm-hmm. go to the the typical response we have, which is making you wrong or making me wrong, like just being with it, right? Just being.
2: Which is so it's just so hard. It's just it's just so hard, but it becomes easier. Right. As we as we trust that sadness won't engulf us. Right. And some of us some of us come into it. Some of us really have watched people be engulfed by sadness. If you grew up with a depressed parent who really was engulfed by their sadness. You'll do just about anything to to avoid sadness, including move into shame and, you know, kickstart a whole self-improvement program or, you know, whatever. So I get that. But yes, you're right. Sometimes the best thing we can do is nothing and just let ourselves be sad, knowing that it's an arc. It's a wave. We're sad. We're caring for ourselves. We're staying hydrated. We're reaching right. out to a friend, you know, and then the next day it's a little less sad and a little less sad and it becomes like any grief. It, it becomes um, a bit smaller, a bit less intrusive, and there's a bit more of us existing, you know, around yeah, that pain yeah. point.
1: How, I know you have a couple of online courses. If people are interested and they're like, okay, I need more of this. Y'all hit on some topics that are like hot, in, you know, hot topics for me, and I want to know more. Can you talk a little bit about where mm-hmm. they can go and what they can find in, in the courses that you offer?
2: Sure. Yeah, there's lots of places to go, right? The sort of, um, there's, I have a podcast now called Reimagining Love, a weekly show. And I've got a couple of books, Loving Bravely and Taking Sexy Back. And then you're right, there's a couple of um, courses that are both available at courses.dralexandrasolomon.com. One is called Intimate Relationships 101. It's just a comprehensive introduction to relational and sexual self-awareness. Then the other one is called Can I Trust You Again? It's about rebuilding after betrayal or deceit. And it's something you can take on your own or ideally with a partner that you're Mm. trying to um, explore restoration with.
1: So good. So good. We're going to have to have you back on to talk about all the other things that we could have gotten into today. But I just want to say (laughs) thank you. Thank you so much for your work and your openness and transparency and your wisdom that you brought to the show. So needed. You're helping so many people. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I I can't say it enough. Like this is what's going to revolutionize love and relationships Mm -hmm. if we're willing to sit with those parts of ourselves and learn how to tend to the places that we have um, neglected within ourselves so that we can show up in our relationships more fully and, um, and give the love that we want want to receive and and vice versa. So thank you so much. And um, you guys, if you love this show, you know what to do. Go follow Dr. Alexander Solomon on Instagram. Make sure that you take a screenshot of this episode. Tag us. We want to know what your takeaways were. And you can always say thank you by giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple, um, iTunes, or Spotify. Until next week, go be coachable. I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that, be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it. If you're getting value from it, I can guarantee it that someone else that you know would get value as well. And honestly, I wouldn't be here. If somebody didn't share with me a podcast episode a couple years ago that absolutely changed my life and set me on the course that I am today, and I'm eternally grateful for that person and you can be that person to someone else. So share it, share the love because you matter, they matter, and what you have to say matters. So I would love to hear if there's something in this episode that really stands out to you and is a ha aha moment. Send me an email to media at ToriGordon.com. Let me know what it was that stuck out to you. What was your aha moment? Maybe where and around what time in the podcast that really spoke to you because my team and I love to hear that. We love to see and hear exactly what is speaking to your heart and helps us to serve you better. So please like subscribe, share. you are helping this podcast continue to grow and get out to larger audiences that can help shape the world and bring more and light, love and healing to it. So thank you for your contribution and let's get on to the podcast.